Hello and welcome to the Tez Magazine Debrief Podcast, where we pick over the latest issue of the magazine and thrash out those important education debates. Today you've got me, Gronja Hallahan, and the triumphant return of John Severs, our editor. That's right, triumphant return. And Kate Parker, our FE reporter at Tez. Hello. And we're talking about the 2nd of July issue, so let's get started. Okay, so this week... John's going to talk about our cover, which goes into the really sticky subject of what engages students in their learning. Dennis Shirley and Andy Hargreaves pull apart some of those persistent myths about what really engages young people and whether you see yourself as an edutainer or if you believe that the reward of learning is in learning itself, it makes for a challenging read. Challenging and interesting, I think, because rarely do we get a article that quite so nuanced as this. Like if you're allied to the trad or the prog way of thinking you'll have moments in this piece where you go yes they believe in what i believe in and then in in the next paragraph they go damn they don't believe what i believe in because both these guys have written a piece where it, it introduces this element of you can't engage every pupil all of the time um for some kids, fun will work. For some kids, relevancy will work. For some kids, chalk and talk will work. But what, what they try and get across in this piece is that engagement's really complicated and that we need to take it seriously, not make learning serious as such, because there is a place for fun, which it says in the piece, but actually take the issue more seriously and not think that there's a one-size-fits-all solution to engagement. And And it really appealed to me, actually, and it made me think of a time, if I think about school and the lesson I enjoyed most, it was um, a period of my life where I was watching a lot of Ali McBeal. Uh, yeah, it was a very good show. Kate will be too, possibly be too young to have watched Ali McBeal. Yeah, I never watched it. That's great. It's Dancing Brilliant. Babies and Dancing Barry White. Baby. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and we had to put the characters of a book on trial. And I remember really getting into the role of John Cage, who's the um, lawyer in Ali McBeal. And, and, and I remember putting this character on trial and and the girl ended up crying and me and my co-legal person thought this was a triumph and we won the case i can't tell you any character's name and i can't tell you what the book was <laughs> and 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 it made me think wow that was such a great experience but it didn't necessarily make me learn anything well clearly made me learn nothing about that book and i had that in my head and i thought well actually you know if you look at it on learning outcomes, that experience was pretty useless, right? But in terms of an experience of school and something that I enjoyed and made me want to be at school and made me really think my teacher was amazing and made me really engage in the rest of my learning, it was, it was invaluable. And I think that's where the nuance of engagement sits. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think for some people, they would listen to that and they would say, well, it's good that you did that activity because, you know, it kept you occupied, it kept you busy. It meant that if um, you weren't, you know, you weren't uh, traumatizing your teacher or making a fuss in your class and becoming a behaviour problem in the school. You just made it sound like I'm a behaviour problem, or right. I would so terrorise the teacher. That's my exact point. The really low expectations that some people have for students, and they'll put in activities like that because they think they can't do anything other than that, and there's no attempt to really engage with those groups of students or try and teach them something difficult. I remember um, working with a teacher who was. Um, had come to our school and she was she was new to the school and she was really shocked that we were doing literary theory with our bottom sets and she said you you, you do that with them and she she was so surprised that we were teaching 
um, the sort of thing we talked to the top sets, the bottom sets, just adjusting it to, to suit what they, they were able of doing. And the, those sort of activities put the character on trial. Let's draw a map of the land and then let's make some bits of plate. Those kind of activities that keep you busy and quiet and occupied are so often given to children who are the ones that really need the best teaching. And I think that's where sometimes people can get really impassioned on both sides because everybody wants to do the best for the children. But I think there's a real divide in, in, in people and, and how that, what that actually would look like. I can't possibly guess which side you fall on from that, Gronya. Such a giveaway, isn't it? What do you think, Kate? What, was there any subject in school where you, you, nothing nothing would have changed the way that it was taught to you, you just weren't engaged with it? Science. <laughs> <laughs> no matter like what, what experiment they could possibly done, I just had absolutely zero interest because I was rubbish at it. Like, so I didn't engage and I didn't enjoy it. And I was very glad when I didn't have to do it again after year 11. Um, but if I think about the subjects that engaged me the most, it definitely was English, which I absolutely loved. And I used to love when we do different plays, then get to go to the theatre to see them. That was like the most engaging. And I would always come back absolutely buzzing from those experiences. When I think about school, it's probably that that I would remember the most. And I can remember what happened in those stories because I actually went to see the play and I can remember seeing that. Um, but yeah, the there's nothing that Miss Hasnip could have done in science to interest me. She sent me out quite a lot of times. I didn't spend that much time in the classroom. To be honest. <laughs> I hate Shocking. it so much. Shocking yeah. behaviour. My mum used to teach science and chemistry for hairdressers and she taught at her NFE college. And she, she found that a lot of the students in those classes had always thought of themselves as being bad at science and not good at science but it was the motivation behind the learning. So when they really wanted to learn it, because they could see that, you know, being able to dye hair and being able to treat hair, and it was interesting because they could see the application of it. Obviously, it doesn't work for all students, but it is interesting how you can get students who would, like you, say, no, this subject's not for me. But when you can see it being really useful for your own life or for something you, you've, you're very motivated to do, then the learning can come, can't it? I think you see that in maths quite a lot. So a lot of students will say like they'll be doing Pythagoras or whatever and they can't see how that relates to mm. real life. So they're not interested. But then if you look at something like functional maths and they're looking at maths for banking, how to figure out how much of a mortgage you'd get, you know, life skills like that, you become much more interested because you see the value it has to you and the difference it can make to your life. One of my best friends is a cake maker and she's very handy for birthdays and parties. And she... She remembers at school arguing with her maths teacher about pi, learning the, when will I ever need to know this? She uses that every single day. <laughs> Sometimes the things you end up using that you learned at school are the things you least expected to. So it's a, it's a really important piece. Get hold of it, do have a read of it, and um, let us know what you think. Okay, so next up, Kate is going to speak not just about one, but about two important FE pieces we have. Kate, construction. It's got a shiny, techie future, right? It has, yeah. And to be honest, I think it's really interesting this. It kind of goes back to the need for FE teachers to be really engaged in the industry and have the industry skills. So construction is one of those industries that is having a load of technological advances, so they're using things like drones, 3D printers. There's a really nice um, story in the piece about some old women. I think it, they're in Holland who 3D printed their house, which is just bizarre. Um, so there's all sorts of exciting things happening. And it's about the need for students to 
be able to gain those skills in the classroom. Now, obviously, um, with things like 3D printing and drones, that equipment is super expensive. And we all know that FE College's um, budgets are tight and funding pressures are really hard. So it's kind of the piece talks about the concerns with that. And, you know, that technology isn't always affordable, but actually we really need to make sure that students have those skills. Um, So there's one teacher um, from Stoke-on-Trent College and they spent £30,000 on a 3D scanner for their construction learners, which is so much money. And I think there's probably not that many FE colleges that, that could do that. Um, but they say, you know, it's an investment into giving students up-to-date futuristic skills. Um, I think there's probably a lot, in, all, in a lot of industries, the way to tackle this would be for the industry to work, to work with the college and kind of share their equipment and allow students to come on work experience, even if they can't get those tech skills because there's not the equipment available at the college, they could get it on work experience. Um, so it's really, yeah, I think it's a really interesting piece. And like I said, it kind of comes back to staff also need to have those skills. So in a lot of FE colleges, staff will have taught in industry, but will have taught in industry like five, 10 years ago. And if things are moving so fast, then they might not have those skills. Um, and I spoke to one of the, um, T-level, new T-level teacher, she was on the construction course, um, a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying that she actually went and did an industry placement, um, so she went back to industry for a week and she learned how to use the drones um, in a, um, in a, on a construction company. And then she now has those skills to go back and teach them to her T-level students. So um, it's kind of equipping the students with the skills, but also giving the teachers the opportunity to learn those skills. You know, I bet it pulls a lot more students into wanting to learn. When they go to the open evenings and they walk around and see all this amazing tech, it makes a subject that you might previously think of as being quite a dry, quite a outdoors and like bricks and cement. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely, it's oh, weird. It's like you don't, if you're not in that world, you don't really think about all the different like routes into construction there are as well and all the different jobs mm. and things like 3D printing and drones and um virtual reality like that is exciting if you're 16 17 um so oh, it's yeah. exciting at any age I don't well, think it's just yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm now thinking is there a time for me to have a career change really I'll cool. see if I can picture it with a placement gone yet <laughs> I'll ask my t-level teacher where she did hers so John you're having some building work done at the moment are you uh are you tempted to get out the 3d printer start printing out your house and It'd probably be cheaper to 3D print what we're doing rather than trying to knock stuff down and rebuild it. But it is interesting how they've done all the tech because we didn't actually have a site visit from an architect. We didn't have a site visit from a surveyor. It was all done remotely. And it's it's really? the structural person came, obviously, because the house would fall down. But um, they managed to do a hell of a lot of it virtually. And even down to how they measure rooms with those digital laser measurers, which are cool and ridiculously expensive. Oh, are they um, expensive? I always quite fancy getting one. They always look really good. It, I find that they're so expensive that it's better to use tape measure. But um, <laughs> I guess if it's your job, you'll still use one. But I, I just love the idea that that old retired couple were living in a in a in a 3D printed house. And, you know, you think that, you know, teachers, you know, there's a perception in all education that the older you are, the less, you know, compliant you'll be with technology or the less welcoming you'll be of it. And the fact is the first 3D printed house in Europe has been lived in by two people in their 70s, which just proves it's all a load of balls really, isn't it? 
And that's the thing. I think the teachers on those on those courses, especially the T level teachers, like they've upskilled massively over. They've had to over the past 12, 18 months. Um, and it just and I think Carly makes the point in the piece that actually if they can do it, then students should be open to it. Teachers should be open to it. Um, you're there to learn, aren't you? And I think teachers naturally love learning. They tend to be people that always want to learn new things. So, Absolutely. Now, let's think about something a little bit different, but still FE. Leadership. Running a sixth form college. Is it just like having a school, but they're a bit older <laughs> and there's less nope. <laughs> No. Definitely, I definitely would say not. I think it probably the role of head of sixth form is probably the most, if you were to compare it to a role, it probably would be leading a secondary school or leading a further, educa- um, further education college. But, you know, 16 to 18 year olds are an entirely different kettle of fish, as is the curriculum. So when you get to 16, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities open up and sixth form leaders need to make sure that um, those opportunities are available um so Claire Green who wrote the piece she is from uh sorry I just try and want to make sure that I give her school a shout out Northern Hampton School for Girls she says things you need to consider things like recruitment and attention obviously these kids don't have to be there they can choose to go to other places they want to so you have to make it a really appealing place for them want to go um there's things like like I said the balance of the curriculum so you might you obviously you'll offer your a levels but you should be aware of um vocational education as well um apprenticeships technical education um she also highlights the importance of pastoral care which I think is super super important for 16 17 year olds especially at the moment when things are such a mess for them they really need the mental health and um well-being support uh, yeah, and I think she kind of highlights that it's really not a, not an easy job to do, but it can be really rewarding, especially with this this age group. It can be so tricky when you've got the balance of students coming up from your own, if you've got an attached school, the students that are coming up that are the internals, and then the new students that are coming in that are the externals and trying to do the transition that's needed for both. And that, that's really quite different, isn't it? And I think particularly this year with all the problems we've had with the transition, transitions being cancelled because of the rising levels of um, transmission, it's going to make that job in September a lot more tricky, isn't it? Did you two go to your sick form or did you go to a, you know, attach to the school or did you go to another college? I went to a sixth form, but it was like a feeder sixth form. So all of the um, schools in Worcestershire, everybody went to the same sixth form. Uh... Yeah, mine was the same. That's what we did. It was brilliant. I just stayed at school for another two years. I think it's it's weird, isn't it? Because I think staying at school and being in the same, going to like the same building and sometimes having the same teachers that you've had in your 10 and 11, that gives a very different experience to starting like an entirely new institution. Yeah, I, I don't think you could have paid me to stay at the school that I went to for the first <laughs> five years. I don't, th- I don't think they'd have had me either. I think I'd have been out of my ear. There was no way that I'd been able to convince them to keep me for another two years. But going to a new sixth form, I think I enjoyed six. I enjoyed sixth form college more than I enjoyed the start of uni because I had more freedom, more money. <laughs> it was so much more fun, and then university was a lot more serious. And it's you know, I think I really enjoyed my sixth form years. They were great. Okay, so. Finally, we've got my pick and I've chosen this week to talk about the How I Piece. So this is from James Evelyn, who is the head of school at Arc 
Atwood Academy, and he's written our feature about a topic that you would normally associate with much older pupils, careers advice. And that's wrong, says James, because there is a lot of important work to be done in breaking down gender stereotypes and demystifying certain careers. And we need to do that when children are small. But how do you draw up careers advice program for the under 11s? Well, James explains how they've drawn on expertise from their community and focused on the journey of careers. And by that, I mean, the job that you do when you're 50 isn't the same as the one you did when you were 19. And there's a reason why you've taken that path and the steps you've taken to get to where you, you've ultimately ended up. So at Arc Atwood, they've put together these really helpful profiles of different jobs, all based on real people within their school community. And I think that idea of rooting their advice in real people who these children will know, either because they're their, their parents of their friends or their classmates, is such a good idea because it's motivational for these young people and it can heighten your aspirations. Like I've taught lots of children who are the first people in their family to apply and go to university. And when you talk to them, they always say that seeing a, a close friend in the year above or somebody that they know really well going through that process made it seem more achievable. And just before this podcast, I asked my smallest daughter what she wanted to do when she grew up. And she said lots of things. And I think I can blame Miss Rabbit from Peppa Pig for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. She's obviously, you know, got high aspirations for herself. Why would you just have one job when you could have like five or six? Exactly. And she often will listen to like other people talking about their jobs and then add that to her ever-growing list. So she wants to be a childminder, like the childminder that she goes to. She wants to be a dentist because she went to the dentist and she had a really good time. <laughs> good time at the dentist. Oh, what about yeah, those got, stickers? She got a sticker. Got a sticker. <laughs> oh, of course, of course, the stickers. She, she could sticker. be a sticker maker. She would love to be a sticker maker. So, yeah, I think they, they see, they, if you don't see it, how can you think to be it? It's that classic, isn't it? So careers advice for little ones. What did... When did you know you wanted to be a journalist? Me? Mm. Um, I didn't really know. I knew, I knew I wanted to write, but then I went to university and got an English degree. And then when you get an English degree, you sort of go, mm, teacher, writer. And then I, I went to Cardiff and did a journalism degree. And I thought, well, uh, postgrad, sorry. And thought, well, I, might, I sort of have to be a journalist now. So it was never sort of something that was, um, I knew I wanted to write. And then journalism seemed the most effective way of doing it. So when you were seven, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a milkman so I could only work in the mornings. And then I could play in the afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> That's truth. And they don't even exist now. It was a job that no longer exists. Well, they do exist. Some people, there are milk. Yes, there are still people delivering milk. But very, um, very much, very few, very much fewer. That's not even English. After he <laughs> talks about being a writer. Um there's a lot less milkmen in the world now. Yes, yeah, more competitive markets. There was, I'm glad I got out of it while I, while I did at the age of eight and decided that I think I switched to being a postman at the age of eight because we had a really cool postman called Robert and I just thought Robert was awesome. It's good to have role models. Um, it was. Kate, what did you want to be when you were in primary school? I wanted to be an author. I always wanted to, like reading and writing has always been my thing. Um, even from when I was really little. So for me, yeah, I wanted to be an author and I used to, um, my gran used to send me like clippings of, I remember I must have been about 11 and somebody, like some 13 year old was like the youngest ever person to become an author, like a children's author. And I remember my 
grand sent me the clipping from the um from the newspaper it's like you could do this this could be you next um and I used to enter lots of like creative writing competitions when I was little as well um but then probably yeah I got to high school and I realized that maybe that wasn't the most realistic thing to do and um probably about year 10 or 11 and um ugly betty was on tv do you remember that show where she's like she wants she wants to be a journalist she's in new york and um it's like a really glam magazine Mm. and i thought like oh maybe i should be a journalist that looks so much fun now here we are maybe not no no not so much for glam magazine but you know (laughs) a brilliant one nonetheless (laughs) oh we've gone from ali mcbeal to ugly betty working our way through the uh, American dramas mm. um and now you've got your own you achieved it that's lovely yeah um yeah I think it's it's a funny one with with young young children there's so many jobs that they they think are are exciting and interesting because of reasons like John's I can only I can just work in the morning or I get to wear a cool outfit like that kind of I remember wanting to be a nun when I was little because I heard they got rings so like, that sounds fun that's a hell Brilliant. of a yeah, that's a hell of a commitment to make as a as a child. I'd like to be a and nun. My, yeah. my mum was like, "No, no way." I don't think that sounds very fun. Probably no. not worth right the now. rings. <laughs> no, the more I found out about it, and the, the mean, and when you meet more nuns, then you realise how some of them are quite mean. It's a. Uh, I, I think you should stop right there because, like, <laughs> there might be nuns listening now who they are could, very oh. offended. I'm sorry. There's lots of other like, really nice nuns too, like <laughs> Sister Helen. She's my still my favourite. There you go, Sister Helen. Shout out to Sister Helen. Got out with that one. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a funny one. Kids often base their choices on what they want to be when they're older, on TV shows and very ropey <laughs> assumptions about their their working patterns. <laughs> but it's good. I like the bit, the fact that in that piece they had such a diversity of of job roles and that they did plot it out. And I think maybe there's an argument that it's too young. To, for that level of information but I think you know they're getting something from it even if it's not everything and doing um, it as a profile it's more like a story isn't it you yeah. just heard about lots of different stories about lots of different people it's an, an amazing amount of work must have gone into that to have so many and it's going to be a really useful resource I just also then I've thought how long would it take for it to go out of date you know milk who'd have thought 15 years ago that milkmans were going to be on the list you have to keep updating it wouldn't you with all these new 21st century jobs yeah, robot fixer. <laughs> I think That's having. Gonna be... <laughs> I was gonna say, I think having that parental involvement is really good in it as well because so often um, when you hear in FE quite a lot that students will want to be want to do an apprenticeship and they'll go home and tell their parents and the parents will say no, you're going to university because they have quite a fixed idea of what they want their children to do. So getting parents involved, sharing their stories, and learning about the stories of other parents, the schools and what they do and how they how they got there. I think that can only be a positive thing for them too. Mm. What careers advice did you get at school? None. None. Did you not get any? No. No, you would have been the same. What was it called? Connections. Do you remember Connections? I don't yeah. remember going to Connections. I remember Connections was a thing, but nobody went, like, nobody went to it. Right, so my school in the library obviously had just one computer and we all took it on turns, the whole year group, to do this online quiz. And it told you after answering all these really random questions what job you should have at the end of it. And your main objection really was to keep doing this quiz until you got the job that you wanted. (laughs) 
but I'm sure that was connections and that was our our careers advice and I think I'd a chat with somebody who and I still want to be a writer he just laughed <laughs> what did you say like, oh. what did your what was your job that came out of the oh quiz? on the, the the computer it told me I should be an educational psychologist and then I tried again and it said a gardener I was like, I don't even like the outside <laughs> gardener education psychologist really... is not too far off yeah. no it was pretty close wasn't it yeah it's it good. pretty good I think we should give them some credit there <laughs> Do you think- I don't know if it's just yeah. a, a lot of people got educational psychologists. I don't know if it had like a limited bank of jobs. No, <laughs> Everyone's going to be educated. We desperately need education psychologists, <laughs> so we're going to make every child be one. So in 10 years' time, we'll get all the central vision we need. Genius. We've exposed it, haven't we? This is the peak behind the curtain. If you became an ed psychologist during the early 2000s, then um, <laughs> let us know and we can blame the connections. And you did the quiz. It was the Connections Career Service. Well, it's a <laughs> Tez exclusive. <laughs> right, well, that's all we've got time for for this week. Thank you both of you for your contributions and I hope you tune in next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief Podcast and want to read more of Tez Magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.